0: Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organize Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me has been reborn to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives and how we can take inspiration from them. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organise Curate Design,
1: I welcome you to listen and get inspired as we showcase these incredible women.
0: So today we have another amazing guest on the She Inspires Me podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to have Dorcas Ma-Pakel here with me today. Um, And so Dorcas, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me, actually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to start by uh, reading a little bit from your bio as uh, I think when I reached out to you just just last week, like we have moved this really quickly, I was very conscious that I didn't want to miss anything because I know you do a lot. And I know that you do, I, I'm really inspired by the work that you do, hence why you're here today on the She Inspires Me podcast. Um, but you are a TV presenter, speaker, and award winning founder and producer of Oz Africa TV, which is a digital platform that, uh, celebrates people of African, I always get this word wrong. Does Am I saying that? Diaspora um, in Australia. So at the 2019 Channel 31 Antenna Awards, OATV won the award for outstanding contribution to to the community by a program. Dorcas also works full time at AIME Mentoring as a program manager leading the African-Australian stream. Here she works with high school students of African and Indigenous descent university students and community mentors to help bridge the gap of inequality through education. Her media award from the Victorian Multicultural Commission acknowledges outstanding reporting on issues of importance to diverse communities and reporting, which uh, which contributes to Victoria's cross-cultural understanding. Stalker studied fine arts at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa and holds a Master of Arts writing from Swinburne University here in Australia. She was born in South Africa and has called Australia home for over 13 years. So I had the pleasure of meeting you at the Channel 31 Awards night, um, so the Antenna Awards back in 2019. And I almost feel like that was a lifetime ago, which is crazy in itself. Um, and I remember, uh, so I think I'd ever even been to an award of that nature. I was there with a client of mine who was also, um you know, also won some awards, which was really exciting. And um, I remember walking in and I was like, who is this woman? Because you were just wearing the most magnificent gown and you looked, um I don't know, I just, I was a bit like. Is she like royalty? Like she
1: looks <laughs> amazing.
0: <laughs> and I guess, um, one of the things, so to me, there was that moment where I was like, who is that? And then, um, then when you won your award, you just spoke so passionately about the work that you do and OATV. And I was just like, this is, this is so good. Um, but before we jump into the really meaty, like important stuff, um, not that this isn't important, but you know, the, the, the real substance stuff. Um, tell me about this, the gown you were wearing, the design, the clothing you choose to wear. I, um, I think it's really important to you know, that you really embrace your African culture and, and support these incredible designers. So what were you wearing? Describe
1: to us what you were wearing, because this is obviously a video platform. I don't even know how to describe it, but my daughter calls. I mean, it's like a bell gown, you know, yeah, from so the it's, like, it's it's gigantic it or a frame. It's there's a huge frame that goes underneath it. Huge frame, wow. like yeah, like um. And actually, at the awards, I was meant to sit at the very front. I had a yes. chair at the very front, and then when we we went for rehearsal, like um, two hours before the awards started. Yep. I came out with my dress and I was like, I think I want to have words with somebody. I just, this is what I'm wearing. I'm just wondering <laughs> where I'm sitting and how are we going to do this? And they're like, oh, oh, okay. I think we need two chairs. And, and they're like, they moved things around and they had to move me to like a little bit further back where there was like a like a space to walk in and I wasn't going to be in, in anyone's way. But, um, but yeah, so I, the dress, initially I was just going to wear like, um, you know, like a simple dress. I had this other blue, lovely, beautiful, silk, flowy, but you know, just a nice dress. Yeah. Um, and then a friend of mine came over to visit a couple of days before that. I wa- and literally I think it was like three or four days before. And then she was like, Oh, what are you wearing? And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm wearing this dress. And she was like, Oh no, you're not wearing that dress. And I was like, Oh no. She was like, no. Yeah. And, and this is the thing that, um, you know thank thankfully she was there because it was a great reminder that as as black people as people of color as women whenever you go into spaces or whatever you do you don't just do it for yourself you know you carry so much with you you bring so much with you so you can't just you know up and be like I'll do that you you have to kind of sit down and think about it and once she said that to me I took a moment to think about it and I was like oh wow this is actually moment because, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's all political. I'm black, I'm African, I'm a woman, I'm in Melbourne, you know, there's, there's everything that comes with it. So if I'm going to go into a space and represent not just me, you know, I bring my ancestors with me, I bring all the Melbourne community of African people with me, I better do it proper. You know, oh. so I was like, well, then if we're going to do this proper, I know a girl, <laughs> um, her name is kwacha She makes like incredible, like statement pieces. Um, she, she makes like, like, you know, regular stuff as well, but she makes like incredible statement pieces, dresses. And so I hit her up and I was like, girl, I need a dress. And I went on her Instagram page. I was like, this one in particular, I want that one. Because yellow is my <laughs> favorite color. one. Like, I'm wearing yellow now. It's my favorite color. And I think it just, you know, it goes very well with our dark skin. So I was like, yeah, I want this one. And she was like, yeah, sure, come pick it up. And we organized it within two days. I had the dress. I went to a tailor. I because because she used it for her displays and for her runways and stuff, so I went and I got the zipper done and everything, and it fitted me like a glove. And um, yeah, it was incredible. And actually, I was wearing these earrings. I didn't even think about it. These earrings are about, by another <laughs> Melbourne designer, hmm. um, of Asanya. Um And again, you know, she makes like these incredible pieces. I think some of her work was worn by um, Miss South Africa, the recent Miss Universe. And so, you know, it's like she, she, yeah, she does incredible work. She's a graphic designer by trade, I think. And so, yeah, and I hit her up again. I was like, girl, I need some stuff. (laughs) And then she she made these ones because she had run out and I thought this color would go really well with the dress. So, so yeah, like you said, you know, I love, I love to, um, celebrate, that our local designers sometimes i use anyone and everyone but i think this was really appropriate to celebrate the african designers that you know do incredible work and um contribute to the socioeconomic you know fabric that holds australia or melbourne you know and make it what it is so yeah it was it was incredible
0: so i think um, now that you've just shared that very tiny that's not a tiny piece but like that that snippet i think our listeners will very much understand why i was like staring at you going oh my goodness who is this woman because not only do you like you know as i said i you know i'm a big I'm constantly reminding, especially my children, I'm constantly saying to them the value we hold is like not what's going on on the outside and all that sort of stuff. That being said, we can look pretty incredible on the outside and, and when we can celebrate art and culture and diversity all in the way that we represent ourselves on the outside is, is yeah. pretty brilliant. Um, but the way that you speak so passionately and the way that you use opportunities to really support and educate and represent is definitely what came across in your like your award acceptance speech. Um, now I remember you saying, and I think this is what one of the things you said in um, in your actual speech at the time, though it could have been in another conversation we've had because <laughs> we've obviously had two since then. Um, but I remember you talking about your children and. Um, and I really related to this, this particular point that you made and you were sharing about the fact that your kids are here in Australia um, um, and they obviously grow up as Aussies, like as most of us do. We're, we're, we're all Australian um, in that way. And, but you shared a story about them kind of looking at Africans as such um, and and how that represented for them. So just share that story with us and and talk me through kind of if anything changed in that respect in regards to your family.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think, yeah, I think it was probably a different conversation Um, (laughs) because in my acceptance speech, I did say that, you know, one of the reasons I started uh, or was inspired to start Oz African TV or continue with it um was for my children and you know and and by children you know it takes a village to bring you know to bring children up so your children my children they're all our children you know ultimately so you know for the brown kids to know that they matter that they can be seen that they can celebrate themselves but also one of the the stories i think that you're talking about is when i think one day we were watching it might have been on like sbs or something and there was a um, a documentary by um, I don't know one of those one of those guys who do like Theron someone anyway that guy, but they were showing some people from Johannesburg, you know, which is where I'm from in South Africa. Um, well, you know, partly. So my kids were watching, and for the first time, they were watching these people who look like me because you know they are a mixed race kids, so they don't necessarily they look half like me but they were looking at people who looked like me just walking in the streets like just being and you know it wasn't on the news it wasn't like looking I don't know like like how how we see African people in Australia for example it's like a big thing you know when you see that one person amongst a sea of white people so this time they were just seeing like a lot of them doing different things and they could see like you know they were so curious they looked at me and looked at the TV, and then looked at me, and they're like, do you know these people? <laughs> <laughs> I people? Like, I was like, yeah, 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 they're all my cousins. I know all of them. And then, and then the, the, they almost believed me. And then I was like, oh, no, better fix that right now. <laughs> and then- I'm not related to the <laughs> whole movie. No, I'm not, I don't know okay. any of them. <laughs> but, but I think that moment for me kind of reiterated the importance of, you know, doing my best or doing my little bit to kind of Showcase people who look like me, people who look like them in in a normal whatever that means, like you know just being human, you know we don't always have to be i don't know what it is that that's palatable to to the white Australian media, but yeah it, it for me it became important to kind of if I can contribute however small I can um to a narrative that says it's okay to be brown, it's okay to be black, and you can be. Anything you can just be walking down the street and be celebrated, and you can, you know, you can be working wherever you can be celebrated. So, yeah, so that was a big um, one of the big reasons why I started OATV. Yeah, and
0: I and I that resonated so much for me. As I said, I, I can't remember when we you shared the story with me, um, but I do remember how much impact it had for me, as I, I have a very similar situation in the sense that I was born in Mauritius, came here when I was really young, hence my very Aussie accent, um, and I have, um, you know, biracial children, so their father is Australian and, like, English kind of descent Australian. Yeah. That, um, and, yeah, so I had a really similar moment where I we went to, like, a family member's, 70th and um, there were traditional Mauritian dancers there and there was, it was like really immersed in the tradi- in Mauritian culture and my youngest son was like what is going on and why are people dancing like that and why are they wearing those clothes yeah. and, and I realized that I had completely cut him off not intentionally but completely cut him off from his Mauritian culture. Because we we're living, we're living in the now. Like we're living in suburban Melbourne, doing our Aussie suburban Melbourne life, and um, and because he's a few generations away from actually living in Mauritius, mm. I have disconnected him. I haven't proactively connected him to that, um, and therefore he will be disconnected. And by the time he has children, if I don't make that effort, it's gone. Yeah. It's just yeah. gone. And um, and that really, that really resonated for me. As he shared that story. Now, do you? Um, obviously, now it's front of mind for you. Do, what do your children say now? What What are their perspectives well, on South Africa and their um, their culture?
1: Well, like you saying, um, you know, you just you just said something very important that you unintentionally disconnected your kids to their Mauritian culture. I feel like I did the same because I came here on my own, and you know, like. Um, unlike some other groups of African um, descent, they come here because they come from war-torn zones, so they need a community and, you know, they they still feel very strongly like we need to instill our culture and all of that. So whereas in my case and perhaps in yours as well, we came here by choice maybe and, you know, and then we blended into this life and you kind of, I don't think we we, we forget, but it's like life goes on so quickly and then one day you realize that, oh, damn it, I didn't do that thing. And that's that's the thing that I feel with my kids because um, I didn't give them a language because, you know, you're so busy, you go to work, you've, you've got a babysitter, you've got, you know, and language is speaking. You know, if I don't speak it and I come home and my uh, now ex-husband and I were speaking in English and it's just like it's it's quicker, it's easier, life goes on. And then... Yeah, so I was, I was just talking to a friend actually and I was like, I do take the responsibility that I, you know, unintentionally failed them in that sense. And so what I'm trying to do right now, you know, within reason is to kind of, you know, through music, like I, every morning, this is like <laughs> intentional, but just kind of like, ah, you know, it's just morning music, but I play like African music. And, you know, and, and I've started to hear my daughter sing those songs, you know, I mean, they're like house music and afrobeats but it's just like identifying a little bit with, with that part of the world. And, and, you know, and I know we, I always call home like, you know, my parents and cousins and everyone. And so now we do it more regularly and, you know, they learn a word here and a word there. And, and one of the things that I want to do, you know, in the, obviously after this COVID-19 is to hopefully get them to go back home for a little while, you know, for a couple of months, whether it's during school holidays or, you know, like a good chunk of a month, two months, and I'm going to strategically get them to learn their culture. There are some things that I can't teach. There are some things that they have to experience, but I think having seen and having realized that I have not, you know, I could have done better in terms of um, keeping up with the culture and instilling that in them. I am now actively doing things like that. And and now they sort of, like, they, they can see the difference between black people and brown people. And sometimes when they watch shows, they're like, oh, mama, look, this show has got more black people in it, <laughs> you know? And we we're, we're watching Tooth Fairy. And I said, oh, but where are the black people? And then she looked at me, she's like, there's a black person there and there's a black person there. I said, <laughs> but how many white people are there? She was like, oh yeah, you're right. There's lots of them. But then that made me realize that um, the way they are being conditioned, you know, and this is just children or people who watch TV without thinking, is that it's okay to have this many other people than yourself. And it becomes an okay thing. So much so that the first time I asked, she was like, what do you mean? Like there's people. And then now though she sees things differently and with this whole Black Lives Matter thing happening, we're having different conversations. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, definitely much better that to when they saw that documentary the first time and thinking that I'm related to every single African person, (laughs) but now they see other black people. I take them to events and, you know, and I've had like aunties come to visit and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to kind of go when I'm getting a babysitter, I try to get, somebody from the African community like a young person from the African community so that they can see that there are more of us so yeah it's 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 happening (laughs) and I think that's such an interesting point as well it's this this balance that we all
0: have where we're trying to um I don't know we're just trying to we're trying to live in the now so we're trying to live in the Australia of today um, and in both of our cases, um, like I know that you mentioned um, your ex-husband, but in both of our cases, we've, we've married Caucasian or been with Caucasian men. They are the fathers of our children. Um, we're, we're in today, we're trying to bring culture um, and relevance into today as well. And it's hard as well. I, I find even when uh, we're, we're, we're the same, we'd like to go to Mauritius once we get out of COVID. Um, and, but I'm also really conscious that the Mauritius, that the Mauritian experience that we will have will be very Western to a certain extent, because we'll yes. probably stay in a nice hotel and we'll probably do the things that we can do with the privileges that we have and the financial capacity that we have. And so it's, it's really tricky. And I, I guess my question to you is um, with the, the African community that you do work with, especially with the youth that you work with, what do you find are the biggest challenges in them kind of holding on to their culture whilst also integrating
1: into modern Australia? I think the hardest thing is being in a third culture space where you, you're not quite enough of this and you're not quite enough of that. So you are sort of creating your own culture because most of the kids that I work with, um you know their parents came here because of many different reasons some of them came here because they wanted to work some were fleeing you know wars and things like that some were just looking for better opportunities and so they have their own cultural and work ethic and they're just like you know you got to work you got to you know you get there you put your head down you work they do like three jobs or whatever. And they provide for their children and they want their children to go to school because they didn't get that opportunity. So they're like, we live in Australia. There's so many opportunities, but you know, you have to go to school and finish and do all of these things. However, the kids find themselves in a space where they're like, oh my God, my parents exhaust me. They want me to do this and do that. And then they come out into this culture and they're like, if i do that i'm not cool enough to be with my friends and you know my friends do this they can go to their homes and they can you know but and i i feel like the difficult thing there is that and you said it yourself that the the africa or the culture that their parents know it's it's never going to be the same for them like you know they keep they'll probably be saying oh i was 16 years old one day but you were in a different totally different situation mm. and so i feel like that, that, that generational gap and that you know, cultural gap can be filled or helped with you know, fictional stories. Like, like you know, when, you, when we watch TV, we're not white, but we watch these stories, we've been watching them all of our lives with white people. And you're like, oh, I get it because you see somebody come on screen and they're very angry and they're going through something. And then you are given an opportunity to see behind a closed door of that person's stress, you know, like driver of that stress. Cause then you'll see them stressing with their friends and then you you give it an opportunity to see where the parents, you know, thing come from because they're like, no, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to stress my child. I want to instill this in them. And then you're Mm -hmm. empathetic because you're like, Oh, actually they don't hate you. Eventually you'll understand. Whereas with the kids, the African kids that I work with, they don't have a reference. They don't know that, Their parents sit there and stress out and go, you know what? If my kids can just know the language, if my kids can just realize that, you know, talking to your ancestors is so important, if they can just realize that. But then they also don't have a language to talk to their kids because their kids are Aussies. You know, they're Mm -hmm. like, what do you mean I have to do that? You know what I mean? So if there was um, an opportunity and me being in the media, like to create a fictional drama where you can remove personal stories and talk in a in a reference to a character and the kids would see it. Then they'll be like, oh, my dad is being like that character. What mm-hmm. he actually wants for me is ABC. Doesn't mean he's mm-hmm. being mean or doesn't understand. And then the parents as well would get an opportunity to kind of go, oh, maybe I shouldn't bombard my child so much. I should take it easy because when they go out, they're faced with so many other issues Mm -hmm. that they don't need this. So, you know, there are all these gaps that could be filled, but unfortunately we're not quite there yet. But I feel like, you know, with platforms like OATV and other people who are doing great uh, media work in the community, we'll get there. But I think that's one of the, the things that can help us because it's just like, you know, the parents want something for their kids. The kids just are like, I live here now, this is my life. The problem is, Twenty years from now, they're gonna have their children, and they'll be like, "Damn it, what was that thing that my mom was trying to teach me?" Mm-hmm. You know. And then as they go, they forget. The culture gets watered down, and then generations from now, the, the kids don't even know who they are. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah, it's
0: and it's, uh, it's yeah, it is such a tricky scenario in the sense that, like as I said before, like I have such an Aussie accent. I moved here when I was four. Yeah. Um, I wanted to fit in. I barely spoke English when I moved here, which is so crazy to think that now. You would never yeah. think that, speaking to me. Um, and I do remember just desperately wanting to fit in, desperately wanting to be blonde-haired, blue-eyed and white-skinned um, yeah. because that's what everyone else was and that's what the dolls were and that's what TV was and that's everything I saw and everything I wanted. Um, and, yeah, it was and a big part of that was representation and a big big part of that was that, that, as you said, that weird transition space between trying to fit in to the outside world and then going home and feeling like, oh, this is almost embarrassing because it doesn't mm. fit. Um, yeah. Which is so interesting because I've experienced, I had experienced that. Um, and then my kids probably don't really experience that because I grew up in that very Aussie, um, modern Aussie kind of way. And, I think the thing that really stands out for me um, is I remember growing up and seeing um, there were lots of um, there were lots of shows or, or not lots of shows there were a few shows that represented that transition space for the European migrants. So um, there were shows like One Boy and um, Acropolis Now. I think um, shows kind of in the 80s and 90s. I think that's the timeline sounding really old now um and, <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> and I remember these characters who were very ethnic but european ethnic um and they had that transition as well where they had you know their parents who were real, like you know may not have even spoken english maybe mm. italian or greek or whatever else and and they were so embarrassed by them because they were trying to integrate into their modern mm. australian culture and, and just seeing that from that story and that lens um, coming from the European immigrants and then knowing now, like kind of seeing how important that is for Mm. our African and Indian um, and um, like there's so many different um, brown and black cultures that are here now in Australia and they need that storytelling as well. Now we're in a time where storytelling is really different. Like the fact that I just went, I'm gonna start a podcast and I can do that now and it's so great. Um <laughs> there, do you find that the the fact that we are in the, the age of technology, is that making it easier for people to share their stories or do you find that they're still I know mainstream media, I totally agree with you, it's very white. Um it just mm. is there's like and I hate using this phrasing, but there's the token dark-skinned person yeah. in each kind of show and character in whatever else, unless it's predominantly um, mm. a show that is featuring a certain culture or whatever else. Um, do you find that because people can make their own content, they're doing it, or is there still a hesitance in that space?
1: I think I think people are, are doing it, and I think the the technology has made it a little bit easier for people to tell their stories. But ultimately... I know that, you know, I mean, people say we move into digital spaces, we, you know, we move into small screen. And I still believe that TV, traditional TV, holds so much power for people's perceptions of things, of people, of situations. Because if it's on the ABC News, you will listen. You know, if it's on, I don't know, channel 10, whatever that story is, you will listen. You can go and see on YouTube. You can go on these other platforms. You'll still listen. But but the fact that, the, I don't know, the power of TV, it finds you in your lounge room. You make time for it. You sit down and you give it a minute. You know, this is to, you flick. You flick through. You're like, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to hear that, you know? But, and so I feel like while we are telling our stories, you know, Finding ways, doing our best, you know, like volunteering, helping each other out. I still feel like the majority of people, particularly in Australia, particularly the 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 white Australian media, I still feel like the the brown that they show, the color that they show, the multicultural that they show is very tokenistic. That's, mm. That there's no doubt. I was I was just listening to the radio this morning, and 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 I you know it, I took a minute. I was like, wow. Isn't it nice that a group of people, three white people or however many, they can sit down in a room for three hours, get paid for it, get paid well for it and just talk about nothing and have fun doing it. And it's okay. Yeah. It's fun. And, and people listen and people are like, oh, hey guys, yesterday I went to dinner and my girlfriend said, oh, great. Let's talk about that. People call us in and tell us what your girlfriend did. And that's fine. But when they bring a brown body in, it's like, oh, it must be a refugee week. It must be a multicultural week. It must be like, why can't people be people? Like, Mm. why can't three brown people sit down in a room, get paid well, and just be like, hey guys, oh my God, yesterday I went to the supermarket and this happened. Mm. And let's not worry, let's not say, oh, I went to the to the supermarket as a black person and saw these people doing this, which is weird for black people. No, can we just like go to the supermarket and talk about that? Yeah. You know, and I think that's what the white Australian media can't take that. Like they can't yet see us as just humans having a human experience. Mm. And I think until that changes, we will make impact you know, on socials, on these things. And it's great because we're global. We can see what's happening in other countries, etc. But this whole racial thing is not going to change because people who are sitting in rural Victoria, white people who are sitting in rural Victoria, they're not going to go on OATV app. They're like, whatever. <laughs> they don't care, but they will sit down and watch the ABC news. They'll sit down mm-hmm. and watch SBS. So if there were, you know, like the woke boy and all of those, we had a story mm-hmm. that tells that, that, that transitions that period for african people coming into melbourne and then people might be start to be empathetic and just be like oh they're just human yes they look different yes they eat different and you know all of these things but they're just human so i do think that while social media and 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 you know the power of the internet and you know all of this hyper technology is making such a significant thing i do still believe that Mainstream media is much more powerful.
0: Mm. I I totally agree. And we I personally done a lot of work um, in the PR space in the last twelve months. We we did a really big PR junket for the business, and um and a lot of it a lot of the stuff that was really important was the Herald Sun and Channel Seven and Channel Nine. It was getting our Mm. faces and getting our message out there in those mainstream media publications and networks because they have credibility. So when you can show up as a human and talk about day-to-day human things, Mm. regardless of the colour of your skin and you can do it in and you can share your experiences in a platform or on a platform that has credibility and Mm. has viewership, Mm. I totally agree because that's the only way it's going to be normal that the person, isn't just talking about their culture or they're not coming in to cook you a curry or they're not coming in to like play some drums or you know? whatever, like whatever token thing that they're supposed to be. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's, um, and it's really tricky as well. I can imagine um, the same conversation has been had in regards to um, feminism and sexism. Yeah. Um, and it's the same theory in the sense that are we there? Is the woman in the room because she brings value as to the team or is she is she there because she's a human and she has skills or is she there as a token? And mm. um, and if she's there as a token, it's like, oh, well, let's get the woman's opinion because we need that so we can tick that box and it's yeah. the same way. So, yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. And it can. It can be so tricky um, because networks are trying so hard, like, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. Yeah. That they're working hard to, to to do better and to to be inclusive. There's just so much further that they need to go.
1: Yeah, there's so much work to be done. There's yeah. so much work to be done.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so speaking of work that can be done, what are you working on? I, I haven't actually spoken to you for a little while now. Um, but I know that you're the kind of woman that would not be sitting still. So we are right in the thick of the um, the discussions and protests and, and movement around Black Lives Matter. I understand that. But prior to that, we were doing COVID. We're still doing COVID. And prior to that, we're doing bushfires. So yeah, fun oh. times for all. But in amongst all of that, what projects are you working on and where are things at with OATV?
1: Well, before COVID... Um, we were going to try and, you know, and we, you and I spoke about this. We were going to try and do, um, season three and I had spoken with Paula Polly. They were super excited. They're like, yay, come home and let's film. And then COVID-19 happened and everyone kind of sat down for a minute, which is fine. Um, and then, I mean, I've been working at AIM as well. Luckily I didn't lose my, my income stream. Um, and so we've just been doing different things to make sure that we can stay in, our jobs, but also we can continue to engage with um, Indigenous kids and African kids and other marginalized kids around the world. And in terms of what OATV is doing now, we're currently actually running um, a family violence project. Um, initially, it was, it was for African women, you know, like all of that. But then since COVID happened, I personally felt like we are so much more connected as people of color and then the funny thing is after all of that the black lives matter movement came and so i feel even more strongly that as people of color as brown people we share so much commonality so i think you know firstly it's being run by a black organization i mean black as in african organization but i mean i'm I'm actually inviting um, women of color creatives storytellers you know whatever storyteller storytelling mean to people it could be through music, through visual arts, through, I don't know, as a makeup artist, as anything that, you know, you can create, you know, poetry, whatever. So I've put an um an EOI out recently. Um and I think we're just gonna work with like about 10 people um and and kind of work with um there's a community group of women that we're gonna be working with and just sharing the how we can help each other combat the, the issue of family violence? Mm. What does that mean to people, like helping people understand what it is? Uh, because again, there's, there's that, because I remember when I was doing the research, when when I jump online, there are many organizations that are doing good, good work in this space of family violence, for example. But most of them are done by white people. And it's almost like the minute you know, if you see a white face, you see an Indian face, you see a black face, then you kind of start to go, oh, this is our issue. But then you see white people, ev- like the whole thing. And you're like, OK, maybe my experience might be different to yours, So I'm not going to listen to that. So I guess what we're trying to do is at the end of the project, the idea is that maybe we will, you know, everything allowing will probably film like a, some sort of a campaign, you know, by us for us sharing those stories and kind of just make like a powerful um, visual something that can start. It's, it's not even about offering a solution. It's it's so we can start a conversation, you know, in a normal space because right now, like I said, people are doing a lot of work, but still there's a stigma attached to talking about family violence and cause you think, Oh my God, I don't want to be in the system. And then where do I go for help? And you know, there are all these, these things where, there are no black people, there's no culture, cultural sensitivity. So hopefully we can start a dialogue where, you know, people can start talking, at least talking about this. That's, that's the aim of the, um, of the project. So that's what's happening. And um, hopefully this with the easing of these restrictions, we'll get to work soon. (laughs) Wow. Incredible. Um,
0: no no surprises why you're here. No surprises why I'm inspired by you. And I, I think you like the the common theme in everything we've discussed today is representation and that that feeling of there's someone out there that looks like me, that sounds like me, that has experiences like mine and be it good or bad, because as you said, we've talked about culture, we've talked about Um, you know connecting to that culture and passing those legacies on to our family and our children and those things are so important and feeling included and feeling a part of our day-to-day community but not losing that connection incredibly important but there is another side there is all of the things that happen behind often behind closed doors that can really affect um, women um, and people of color and it's true if you don't um, if you don't see any representation in the, the help that can be out there for people that are experiencing family violence and domestic violence or sexual abuse and all of the, the things that kind of fall under those categories, um, then it can cause hesitance to reach out and ask for help and to feel that you're going to receive the help that you need with through a lens that understands you and maybe understands your culture and a few other facets that... Are going to contribute to the, the help that you need and wow I think that's fantastic well I can't wait to to see where that takes you and of course as you know we're always here to support and um one of the things I really love about the community that I've built in our audience um who hopefully will be listening to this podcast when we release it, <laughs> um is that they are incredibly talented and we have a huge network of people that um hopefully can lend some um, support as well so that would be fantastic. Now for those of you who are listening um, or for those people that are listening and that want to either watch some episodes connect with you um, help with the new project um, or anything like that where where can we find you
1: well if you if people just jump on our website um, oz African TV oz African TV.com.au they'll find everything there. Um, or otherwise if you jump on Instagram, on our page, Oz African TV, we have a link tree. So if you click on there, you'll see where you can watch episodes, where you can, um, register your interest for the, for the family violence pro project, which is called one in three for women. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can just, you know, put your EOI there. Um, and yeah, and a couple of other things. So yeah, cool.
0: Fantastic. Well, I will make sure that all of that information is in the show notes and all of the other advertising we do for this particular episode so people can find that information really easily. Thank you so much, Dorcas. It was such a pleasure to hear your story and to be able to share it with everyone else. I, as I said, am incredibly inspired by you and have been since the moment I saw you looking like a princess. Um, It is always such a pleasure to chat to you. So thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. And, you know, you inspire me just like how I inspire you. I love the work that you do and your passion in doing it. And, um, yeah, I'm humbled that you reached out to me and, you know, so that I can be here and get an opportunity to share my story. And hopefully, you know, somebody's listening out there and they get inspired as well. So thank you for having me on your platform.
0: No problem. Now, I just thought of something that in all of this newness, um as we've been chatting that I forgot to ask you one of the things that I would really love to hear from you just before we wrap up is is there anyone specifically that inspires you that you would really love us to kind of know of and it could just be someone in your in your circle or is there someone that you um share with us is there anyone that's kind of standing out well
1: I think I mean I think like you said we 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 are generally bombarded with these incredible images all the time. Like, you know, you know, Wednesday crash women, whatever those hashtags are. And and she leads Africa and you know, whatever. There's a lot of women who inspire me, but at the moment, um, I'm very much inspired by the CEO of Aim mentoring where I work. His name is Jack Manning Bancroft. Mm -hmm. He is, he's incredible. He's so passionate. He leads with his heart and he is so open and so giving. Mm. Like, you know, he he's, he's a great example of a leader at the moment. And, you know, with, I think with the, with the um, challenges of COVID-19 that came along, he just like showed up for everyone and he just busted and just made everyone feel like, guys you are being led you're okay you know what i mean and i think at the moment right now and and also with the black lives matter and all of that sort of stuff because he's an indigenous man as well so Mm -hmm. it's it's just incredible to be led by such a person and to be to be in an organization that he created when he was 19 years old and he had a dream and a vision and all of that and today he's employing people around the world he's just so incredible so if people want to look him up jack manning Bancroft, you will find him, and and there's a they did a story of um, his story on the Australian story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so if you look him up, you'll find him. He's just he's incredible. He's currently writing his book, so it's gonna be amazing. I'm pretty sure. Oh, fantastic! I'm so glad. I kind of, as you said, the
0: word inspired, and we were like <laughs> just just loving on each other with all the inspiration. Yeah. I was like, oh, the whole point of this is for <laughs> us to have more people to be inspired by. Goodness me. I'm such a yeah. good podcast host but so I love when you just kind of go with the flow and conversation works. But thank you for sharing that. I will make sure that um, Jack's details um, and the details for AIM are also in the show notes so then everyone can look that up as well. Well, thank you so much, as I said, for being a guest. Um, yeah. We will make sure that everyone can look you up and, um, and
1: connect with you and we, um, we look forward to chatting to you again soon. Of course, and um, send me a link so I can put it on our thing so people can listen. You know, we will definitely spread the do love. That. Yeah, <laughs> very
0: much. So, thanks so much, Dorcas.
1: Thank you, Caroline.
0: Bye. Thank you for joining us today and being a part of this incredible community. Remember to hit subscribe and join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women.